Hi gang, this is Dre Harrison, uh, lead host of the Motorsport 101 podcast. The following episode is going to contain discussions of very bigoted behavior, i.e. racism, transphobia, etc. You may find some of these discussions upsetting. That's completely understandable and fine. We'll put a timestamp in the description down below as a safe spot you can skip to when that discussion has finished. It's going to be at the top of the show, so we thought it was only fair we'd give you a warning in advance. Look after yourselves and each other. Thanks for listening. RJ O'Connell, co-host of the Motorsport 101 podcast. Uh, We came into this weekend, the Formula One British Grand Prix, off the back of some pretty horrific brigadry that we've got to address first because in the time since our last F1 episode, and I want to make sure I've got the sequence of events correctly. Mm-hmm. Yuri Vips, um, formula two driver was sacked from Oracle Red Bull racing as their test and reserve driver, but kept on by his high tech GP formula two team for the rest of the season to be given quote, the chance to redeem himself after uttering a racial slur on a Twitch stream. And today we also had this very confusing uh, statement from Red Bull that said that he's still part of the junior scheme, even though Red Bull junior team spoke directly with colleagues that I know to say that he is not part of the organization. And upon further attempts to clarify, which did not really clarify anything, it seems like what's happening with Vips is that like, He'll still be a Red Bull sponsored driver, but it's really more to the effect of like Jack Dewan was kind of a Red Bull sponsored driver, but not really. The, the point is that like the 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 pun the consequences were very minuscule. Mm. Um, Nelson PK Senior, three time Formula One World Champion, was reportedly banned from the Formula One paddock, stripped of his honorary membership from the British Racing Drivers Club. Uh, after it had surfaced in an interview on November 2021, uh, talking about last year's British Grand Prix incident between Lewis Hamilton and Max Verstappen, uh, PK in that interview described Lewis Hamilton as a racial slur leading to mass statements denouncing racism from Lewis Hamilton, Formula One themselves, multiple teams and drivers. And on the Thursday leading into the weekend, W Series two-time and defending champion and championship leader Jamie Chadwick said she agreed with her team boss, Caitlyn Jenner, that trans women should not be allowed to participate in women's sport. I should also point out that wedged in the middle of this, Formula One's former boss, Bernie Ecclestone, gave a deranged interview. Oof. To Good Morning Britain, you know, the morning Ugh. show that once famously platformed, noted very reputable man Piers Morgan for a number of years. But they got burning on basically to say that, you know, Vladimir Putin's such a great guy. Uh, Ukrainian President Zelensky should have done more to stop the war. And, you know, he'd take a bullet for Vladimir Putin, which uh, I don't. <sighs> I don't even know where to start with this. And I don't think. Anybody here on this call will argue that anything that was said is good for anybody. But Trey, mm. I gotta ask. 
What are we doing here? What is it going to take for motorsport at large, in particular Formula One, to step in and make some more meaningful change on the matter? What, what point does it have to escalate before they realize that the fire is coming from inside their own house this time? I don't know, because we knew this already. This was out in the open. This is not like some dirty secret that the sport has had. I mentioned, because I wrote about this on the website, if you want more thoughts from me on all of this, you can go on the website later on and, and hear what I have to say about all of this. But in it, I mentioned that if anyone actually read the Hamilton Commission's report that came out last year regarding its an overall case study uh, regarding racism and the lack of diversity in motorsport at large, there was multiple stories in there from staff members of colour that were racially abused, that were bullied, discriminated against, um, were the subjects of humour, and were isolated from the rest of their peers. The locker room culture in F1 has always been this way. And I find it startling that this is still a shock to so many people. I think a lot of people didn't read that full report. I think a lot of people just used it to cheerlead what Lewis has done. And don't get me wrong, this is not a jab at Lewis. Lewis has been unbelievable in what he's trying to do. People argue that Lewis Hamilton is having to carry way way too much on his shoulders right and carrying the sport forward yeah and like a lot of people just put the summarized notes up on their instagram page and shared like retweeted the the, the summarized one page version because it's easy to digest and not read the full 90 page report that goes into the stories themselves the lack of opportunities the flawed British education system, the geographical nature of where black people live in the country, and the fact that many of the teams are based in the Midlands, where black people don't live, for example. We all live in basically London, Birmingham, or Manchester, you know, and that can be a problem, etc. It goes into a lot of detail. I don't think people are interested in that. Um, it's unfortunate, this is just one example, that yeah, like, the house is on fire. It's been burning for some time. Like, and right now, F1 is basically the dog in the middle that says, this is fine. And, like, it's... I'll go in order here, first and foremost. Jury Vips, there is absolutely zero excuse for what he said. Oh, not whatsoever. No. He is a 21-year-old Estonian man who is well-traveled and came from a country that used to be part of the Soviet Union where they knew full well that the N-word was an evil word and shouldn't be said. He knew exactly what he was doing. And I find it disappointing that after we had a very high-profile case of this across the pond two years ago, that people still think this is acceptable. When it's not... I'm, I'm, I am aghast that... You know, Red Bull did what they needed to do. And, 
you know, if high tech wanted to keep them on, you know, if they had the power to do so, whatever. I am amazed that Formula 2 put out a statement saying that they disagreed and that that wasn't the decision that they would have taken when it was announced that high tech were going to keep Yuri Vips for the rest of the season. And I just think you, my sibling in Christ, you are the promoter of this championship. What would you have done and why wouldn't you? I'll tell you what I would have done. And that's a one year suspension for driving. But this is Formula 2 who will just go out of their way to refuse to discipline drivers for any sort of on- or off-track conduct. Amari Cordiel, who we can go on the record and say has been accused of, of sexual misconduct with other drivers, allegedly, is also not a very good driver and has been racking up moderate driving infractions all throughout the season. Mm. And... It almost is getting to the point that, like, Formula 2 is trying to make sure, by any means necessary, that he doesn't get the 12 points needed for a race weekend ban. Now, Roy Nassani caused an incident that almost took his head off in the in one of the Formula 2 races. And, yeah. you know, you know, he's not going to serve a race ban. I'm nope. just... Uh, Formula 2, you, you decide... Who enters the series on a basis? Like, shouldn't you step in with some form of discipline for one of your drivers? The problem is, is that I don't think they have the jurisdiction to do it. It's all to why. It's it's the almighty dollar. Because then you just uh, admit that you're a customer racing series, like any form of pro am sports car racing. Of course, because that's what they basically are. Yeah, I mean, uh, what, Cam- Wilds, Cam- Cameron, what, so, so, yeah, go on, Cam. Sorry, sorry, I'll, I'll come in afterwards. I say late intro here, but Cameron Buckley, everyone. Yeah, and you know, I'm just, I'm just really fucking tired. Yeah, I'm tired of the the media circus interviewing tired old farts based on what they've said in the past and who they're employed by knowing the exact kind of audio clip and answer they're going to get and doing it anyway because it's gets the clicks they dropped the hammer on artem shevarikin for dropping for for doing a nazi salute on the podium they they at sal oh for a year they, and even and even though yes he got a plum ride at the end of it he still sat out for a season I don't understand why Formula 2 hadn't didn't have the fortitude to step in and say, I don't care how much this dude is giving your money. You can go find somebody else to employ. There is no shortage of well-funded Zoomers who can gladly take up a seat for half a season. Yeah. There's no excuse. There is no excuse. And look, in a perfect world, I would have liked to have thought Hitech would have parked him for that. But I suspect... And I've spoken to people that are in the know on this. Um, the amount of money involved in Formula 2 now is astronomical. Whatever number you think it is, times it by two is what I've basically been told. And unfortunately, it, it reminds me a lot of the Mazepin situation from last year, where we thought at least that Mazepin may have had a significant stake in the team to the point where if he's dropped, the team might not survive, and then you get into this horrible ethical dilemma of, is one person doing a horrible act enough to justify potentially hundreds of people losing a job? And I would not wish that on anybody. That's a horrible, 
lose-lose situation to be in. This not is how the I... sausage is made. Yeah, and I, I do not say any of this to condone Vips' actions. No. But unfortunately, High Tech had to use this angle because they had no other angle. There was no other justification for him keeping his job otherwise. I love to do the trolley problem again and again and again and again. Yeah. Nelson PK has always been known, along with being a three-time world champion, as an instigator, a troll, who has not only towed the line of good taste, but stepped way the hell over it. I us say, if, if this is news to anybody, that Nelson PK Sr. is the way he is, do me a favor. Go look up some of the things that he used to say about Nigel Mansell, his wife, Ayrton Senna. This is not new. And in fact, this this interview that surfaced was actually, it occurred late last year at the height of the championship battle that we know ended in, uh, let's just say, controversial fashion. In acrimonial circumstances. Uh, to say the least. But, I mean, the man is the father of the girlfriend of one of the drivers in this championship fight. And so all about Max Verstappen, probably on the wrong side of history of a lot of personal views. I'm being very charitable when I say that. What did you think was going to happen when you put a microphone in his face? What were you expecting? It goes back to this. It goes back to the, the just fucking deplorable comments that Bernie Ecclestone Provoc- is saying. Because provocative, yeah. It's like, Bernie why Eccle- do you give- what were you expecting what? when Bernie Ecclestone has had nothing but praise for Vladimir Putin up to this point? Did you think he was going to change his mind? You ever, th- you ever see that swords joining meme and it's, you know, yeah. it's like a drawing of like, like warriors gathering at the table, joining yeah. swords together. And, and you could just, of all the people who now have a, of the groups of people who now have a bone to pick with Bernie Ecclestone, it just spans the scale. It multiplied. It, it went up exponentially. As if it wasn't big who, enough. People who have a problem with what he said just in a vacuum. Mm-hmm. And then yeah. people who had a problem with the way Bernie Ecclestone ran the sport in the 80s, the 90s, the later years. I could go there is on no, there is no on. Venn diagram anymore. It is simply a large circle. But even beyond that, I, Lewis Hamilton put it better than any of us could because he responded. Uh, someone, someone's tweet went viral mm-hmm. over the course of the week. Uh, Lewis, as you said, like, Enough of the enough of these archaic mindsets. Enough of giving these people a platform. He's dealt with it enough in his fucking career. God forbid Lewis Hamilton in his situation uses his platform to be a force of good in the world. And all you get is people panning it or people using their fan their fandom of him to weaponize it. Yeah, I'm tired of people weaponizing their fandom to claim that a given person is or isn't for this thing or isn't for this thing. 
based not on what they say and do, but on a predetermined opinion of that person. And that lands on both sides. I'm yes. tired of these asinine white text on a black background statements from a sport that claims to race as one. It does not. It of course, has, it never has. Yeah. And as we remain on this course of being on this quest for the next great soundbite. Yeah. It never will. Shit Nelson has Pique to got change. To, Nelson Piquet Sr. got to drive at Le Mans Classic where Motorsport Magazine gave an interview where he basically walked back his entire apology. Where yeah, he burned, his, said, burned his apology to the ground, which wasn't right. much of an apology in the first place when he was basically saying... I'm not sorry I said what I said. I'm sorry that you caught me saying what I said and that it came out like this. Oopsie whoopsie. Yeah, no, that's not a fucking apology. Be be better. Nelson Piquet should get the... I I said before that Nelson Piquet should get... Just give him the obligatory treatment. Say you're going to ban him for life, and when you inevitably quietly rescind it, it'll be at a point where it's just like it doesn't matter and he has no powers. Just get him, just push him away for a while. Nelson Piquet Jr. is no saint either, but at least he's just like staying far the hell away in like Lamborghini Super Trofeo where nobody's going to pay attention. Right. I haven't even. What's up, Jay? No, sorry, I want, I, want to, I want to make a couple of points here. Yeah. Um, first and foremost, because um, I've been pretty quiet for the last five minutes and just soaking this in. Nelson Piquet is a reprehensible piece of shit. He's always been a piece of We've shit. We've been new. Um, he's been a piece of shit for 40 years, and this is a man who clearly has never given a shit what people think of him. Um, and it's unfortunate that that toxicity has spilled over into interviews he has done. Um, and. It's it's horrible. It is absolutely deplorable that the man has gotten that has, the man has gotten the the amount of platforming that he has had. Let's not forget he was on an F one podium five years ago, and he was making some horribly awkward statements about Nicole Scherzinger when Hamilton was still seeing her as a partner God. at the time. That he's always been this way. It was the worst of all the podium interviews they ever did by a country mile, and that should have been the reason warning. why he never came back. Yeah, and look, he's Bolsonaro's chauffeur at this point, and you know, like that's that's what he will be known as to the majority of people, and all the connotations that are associated with that are, you know, absolutely valid for what Nelson Piquet is at this point in time. I like I said, I've made many a point I've already written about before in the past already, but. To, before we move on to, to Jamie Chadwick's comments, I wanted to just to, just to say more than anything else. Cam's absolutely right. We do not race as one. Two years ago to the day we record this was the very first We Race as One standing protest. We are two years on from We Race as One. Two years, almost to the day since that plan was first unveiled. And look, I don't need these white text on black background statements from the drivers and turning it into a tick box game on the internet of, well, this person's, you know, anti-racist. He's a good guy. This guy didn't write a statement. He's not anti-racist. He's a bad guy. I don't care. I don't need 18 white people and our friend from Thailand to tell me whether or not they're racist or not. Okay. It's like, I, if you need, 
the if you need a nudge from a rich, probably white millionaire who lives a privileged existence that racism is bad, then I can't help you. It is time for the sport and the governing bodies that run it to get their noses out of the parapets. Stop being afraid of who they're going to piss off. Because let's not forget, Formula One didn't even mention Nelson Piquet by name when it no, wrote its too statements. Too scared to. Nobody scared to. did. No one they're, did in they're, their they're statements. S- they're scared of a of a uh, defamation suit that may or may not actually come. Who knows? And no. I'll tell you, this problem of uh, of sporting leagues, sporting leagues in general, and a lot of corporations two years ago, when we were at the height <coughs> of our reckoning of realizing just how messed up racial injustice was, everybody wanted to make a statement that they were on the right side of things, and Formula One was no different. It's, it's nonsense. Yeah, go, you can go ahead and make a statement. The NFL has solved racism six times just in the year 2020 alone. Damn, no. also as many times have we solved race stewarding by firing Michael Massey. Look, it doesn't matter how many statements you put out, how many images you fucking Photoshop and post on your social media. Your actions speak louder. It's pretty and, fucking quiet in this room. Yeah, and we races. We can go on the on their website. The Re Races One Initiative has a public website. It's barely been updated. It is a message that was originally a actually quite well thought out manifesto as to ways they were going to improve the sport, including the broadcasting side of the game, the the junior ladder, like the grassroots level, like carting, um, the media, and how it was going to be consumed. Um, and so on. It was a well thought out plan. Chase Carey put a million bucks of his own money into the pot. The FIA matched it. And I thought, okay, here we go. The ball is rolling here. We're two years on. Does it feel like we've moved the needle in any way whatsoever here? There have, yeah, there have been some efforts, but it has all been from individual manufacturers, sponsors, and largely the the drive the athletes that participate feels like it's pretty much all been at the feet of Lewis Hamilton Lewis Hamilton Mercedes and like you know thank goodness uh, Hamilton has a few allies in his corner namely Sebastian Vettel that he doesn't have to do this all by him damn self it's Vettel and not much else that's the sad reality of it we are and they're not going to be around forever hell people think Vettel is out the door at the end of this year. Yeah, and Hamilton's only got one year left on his deal, and there's no guarantee he signs another one. The point I'm getting at here is that enough talk. We've had the talk. You had the talk two years ago. You insisted at the start of this year. Stefano Domenicali said at the start of this year, it's time we stop taking gestures and we start doing actions. Where? Where are the actions? Prove it. You couldn't even publicly say you banned Nelson Piquet from your paddock. You leaked it to the world's journos. We got it from the Bensons and the Cottenhams of the world. We didn't We didn't get a public statement of, of any kind saying that, oh, Nelson Piquet Sr. has been banned from the paddock. The British Racing Drivers Club at least did that, right? Formula One didn't. It's I, I find it horribly disappointing that two years on, from the sport's biggest activist push it's ever had, and it feels like we've barely moved the needle in two years. Yuri Vips 
is never going to make Formula One anyway. The fact that Red Bull thought that he was racist enough to sack him as their test driver, but not racist enough where they still are okay with having his logo being worn as he drives a car is embarrassing. And for a company that is makes more money marketing than selling glucose and sugar these days, I don't believe a multi-billion pound company and racing team are that bad at HR. I find it startling that they are that bad. bad. I've learned today as a time of recording that they are bad at communicating things because there was a whole like, there is a whole like wires cross sort of thing between Red Bull racing and the Red Bull tooted. I think it's an effect where Red Bull, the sporting sponsor, Red Bull, the racing team and Red Bull, the young driver program are not strictly speaking the same entity. Yeah. It still shouldn't matter. He should probably be fired from all three. Um, What difference does it make? Jamie, the thing with Jamie Chadwick, too, also, like, you know, Mm. that hits close to home because uh, it was about a year ago, and I don't know if I've ever, like, talked about this publicly, where my partner came out as transgender male to female. Mm. Ironically, on the way back from the IndyCar Mid-Ohio race. Um, So, obviously, I'm invested in like of course issues of trans health and justice and especially lately where oh God. that yeah. is a segment of the population that is being blamed for every single bad thing on the planet that everybody who took part in that telegraph interview from the interviewer who asked the question to Jamie Chadwick to begin with the Jenner racing team who signed off in the interview to begin with and Chadwick herself for giving the for answering it in the manner that she did. If they had any sense, they would be ashamed of themselves. And if it were up to me, if I was running the W series, I would have told Jamie, "You can't race at Silverstone." And I tell Formula One TV, "Go put Abby Eaton on television before the race." Yeah, I can't argue with that. Look, it's I liked <laughs> you, Jamie. Everybody did. Yeah, because like you are the closest woman to a legitimate Formula One prospect that we have had. We have talked about the fact that you are overqualified for W Series on multiple occasions. Don't punch down just because you're having a hard time getting ahead. It's a damn shame. It's a damn shame. And I say it's a damn shame for many reasons. One, Jamie Chadwick was universally liked amongst people that are fans of racing, people that believe in equality in motorsports. Chadwick was a fantastic ambassador for women in motorsport. And I used the key word of was here. Oh, don't get me wrong. She will still have, she will have a brand new audience of, of people who uh. willfully misunderstand this entire conversation. Uh, you took all those, all, all those points, all of that likability and Yelled Kobe, throwing it right into the trash. It's, Look, it's just... honestly, the, the 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 one thing. Sorry to cut you, Captain. The one thing that is, no worry. that startled me about that still startled me about this half a week on from when the comments initially came out. The amount of people in the mainstream media that have spoken about this is crickets. It's deathly silent. I think I am genuinely one of the few people who has written about this, 
that wasn't on social media. Have I seen anything from motorsport.com or motorsport.com? Everyone. The race. Everyone everyone's on both quiet. sides of this is scared to touch that. Yeah, and I don't want to be scared to touch this. This is discriminatory. They're absolutely... Look, this is the thing, right? There absolutely does need to be regulations put in place for trans athletes to compete. I'm not disputing that for a minute because it, we have barely scratched the surface. We've only just talked about this in terms of their inclusion into a general society for the last few years, right? I'm not disputing that for a minute. What makes it so infuriating is that you're in motorsport. You're in one of the very few global sports that men and women can compete in theory on an equal platform with no physical advantage or disadvantage one way or the other. Motorsport is a powerful sport where that's concerned because you can't get that in soccer. You can't get that in basketball. You can't get that in sports like baseball, right? For example, yeah. motorsport, we can do this. Women can compete against men on an equal platform. Now, unfortunately, the hurdles for that are obviously more political and financial. And, you know, th th those hurdles are obviously more obvious. But for Chadwick, who's racing in a female-only segregated series, to come out and basically exclude a subsection of humanity, or, or has a viewpoint that would, would want to exclude a subsection of humanity from something incredibly important, the opportunity to play sports. It's transphobic, it's discriminatory, and it's selfish, and it's horrible. And that is not okay. It Endor is endorsed by the one high-profile trans person who has worked more tirelessly than anyone in the time that she has come out to cannibalize her own peers, to pull up the ladder behind her so that nobody else can climb up. As long as I got mine, screw the rest of you. Yeah. That's the mentality, and it's just, it's, it's just so aggravating. Uh, I, 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 I cannot stress this enough. The ability to be able to play sport is an empowering, inspiring thing. I know King spoke very fluently on this on Twitter last week, and he is absolutely right. It should be a human right to be able to play sport, because it's not about professionalism in cases like this. It's not about what these sporting regulations are, or, or the, oh, the, the, the quivering fear of certain people that, oh my god, a trans athlete might beat someone that's cisgendered, etc., etc., it's about community. It's about participation. It's mm. about being able to integrate and belong. I said it in my written piece, and I'll say it again here. I was a bullied kid until I was 16 years old. I did not belong. People thought that I had an Australian accent rather than a British one. I never felt like I fit in, but I was decent at playing basketball. And that's where I belong. That's where I fit in. And that was one of the few times in a horrible school experience for me that I felt like I belonged. And I've talked about my dad before. I've talked about my dad on the website and stories I've written before. Me and my dad don't get along. My dad's not in my life anymore. He abandoned us when my sister was diagnosed with cancer when she was two years old. Like, me and my dad will probably never be on the same page. But my love of sports came from him. You wouldn't be listening to this show 
You wouldn't be reading my articles. You wouldn't be watching my videos if it wasn't for that passion for sport that he gave me. And what was the one thing we bonded over? You cannot, and I cannot stress this any harder, you cannot be spouting bigoted transphobic bullshit, basically telling a subsection of humanity that they can't play sport. I would not and, wish that on anybody. And and that is also, it's it's far bigger than just exclusion from sport. It's exclusion from pretty much every walk of life because of let's not be because the people with the most hateful viewpoints, the most power will not just stop at excluding trans people from sport. If they had the choice, of course they, 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 they take one set of rights. They look to take the other. Yeah. They look to no. take the next. That has there, always there is no... been the game plan. Mm. If anybody, and I, I know we're going through a time where we're all just gawking at the train wreck that is British political theater right now, but trust me, it's, like it's, it's like people look over at us in America and they're like, we're terrified. And I'm like, I don't blame you. Um, there, there is an old saying that you're very fond of, Dre, and it's, you know, this is how the sausage is made, right? And I don't Correct. dispute that. I just kind of think, like, at some point, I just want to go buy. I, I, at this point, I just don't want to buy the sausage. No, <laughs> I just, I just hope, or I, or I would hope that, like, you know, you know, you're not making it in. There's a there, or at least there's like a better way to make it. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's... We, we shouldn't have to settle for this is the way it is. We're powerless to do anything. And I know we as three motorsport podcasters are kind of powerless on our own, but I'd like to think that in my lifetime, things will be better before they get worse. Yeah. it's. I don't want to give into this defeatist mindset, you know? No. And I've been incredibly nihilistic when talking about this to people I know and care about. People have asked me about it at work. But I work colleagues have said to me, well, Dre, what did you make of this? And I'm like, you're the 15th person I've had to explain why this is so fucking horrible. And I don't really want to do it for a 16th time, but I know I have to. And unfortunately, this is the burden of being black when it comes to discussing these issues because people are looking to you for the solutions. And the problem is, is that racism has is hit black people. It shouldn't be down to black people to have to solve it. We haven't got the power to be able to solve it. We haven't got the positions of need and to be able to solve it. It shouldn't have to come down to people like Lewis Hamilton, who's almost leading this charge single-handedly on his own into the breach to try and solve it. It should be down to the white people in these positions to be able to solve it. And that goes for any form of discrimination from race to identity to your sexual preference, to you know how physically or mentally able you are to perform. Because I've, I mean, let's not forget Max Verstappen was an ableist slur dropper in his own right too, and that is not okay either. And I, I could go on and on, and there's so many examples. I know this is how the sausage is made, and I just I can't stand that we're in this position right now, and it's not going to get any better um, anytime soon. And I hate having that attitude, but there has been no sign of Formula One being a more accepting place two years on after promising that it might find a way to start doing that. To, to end this segment, 
I will refer back to what Lewis Hamilton said back in June 2020 when he launched his Hamilton Commission to try and improve race relations within motorsport. And the quote that still stands, and I think stands even more prominently than it did two years ago, goes as the follows. The time for platitudes and token gestures is over. Two years on, and I'm still not sure we've gotten anywhere at all. That was Trey Harrison. I'm RJ O'Connell. Cam Buckley is with us. Um, there's also one, one. Um, well, um, for idol groups like musical idol groups, we would call we would call this a graduation ceremony. <laughs> um, Ryan King, who has been as Dre, you would not dispute that if I said that Ryan King has been as as much a part of the show as you've been, you wouldn't argue that point. Without a shadow of a doubt. Um, King's done even more shows than I have. This is 377. I think he's done something like 15 shows more than I have. I've not been able to be on every single show. King has been the most reliable, most dependable person on this network without a shadow of a doubt i would and a fantastic to... human being he and is that's why man. we are so happy to let y'all know mm. ryan king is a full-time staff writer at jalopnik we are so proud of this dude oh yeah <laughs> that comes with the caveat that ryan king is not going to be a full-time member and our producer of the show going forward i know it sucks it it's sucks. the same thing when lewis lewis Sutterby, had to graduate bike live to become world feed commentator and social media for Dora. Right? Yeah. Right. As you Why do. are we letting these guys walk? We got to get some picks back for them before we let them out. <laughs> you need to stock up on some draft picks. Although we, we should, like, if you're interested in being a producer, our DMs are open. Oh, of um, course, by all means. Hit us up. Uh, like, I, 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 I mean... Yeah. I, I can't we can't say enough about the job that Ryan's done while he's on the show. I mean, and not only on the show, but if you you know that if you're in our discord server, some of the late night slightly inebriated motorsport history talks between himself, uh, myself, people like Sasha and the server have been mm. some of the most fun I've ever had. Talking and that's with another individual. Ryan uh, King makes time for everybody in the community, and he makes time for us to help make the show better. Invest a lot of time, energy, resources into that. Mm. Um, and that's all awesome. I thought it would be a good idea to just, before we actually talk about the British Grand Prix, mm. to just go through some of the greatest hits of Ryan Eric King. And, and there was one that jumped to mind immediately from a couple of our longtime listeners. Mm -hmm. uh, the Formula One season review, where via slip of the tongue, he gave then Mercedes uh, driver Valtteri Botas 10 out of 10. Oh, as is great for the season. <laughs> um, you know, it's, it's funny to look back on. At the time, but you know, right, right. Uh, King's always had a good sense of humor about a lot of things. Oh yeah, and that was certainly <laughs> like one of those things. Dre, there was one that that came to mind for you. Uh, 
as far as like a contribution in the show? Oh, the drafts. The drafts I had were some oh, of the most the fun I've had on this show. Um, you know, like I think we did three of them in total. And, yeah, um, I remember the last know. one we did where we where we were drafting all these drivers for like a month's worth of racing, and mm. you and, your, and bless your heart, you never lived down the fact that you sunk thirty dollars of your imaginary budget into current Honda Super GT and Fupa Formula driver Novahara Matsushita. Yeah. And it didn't pan yeah. out. Nah. Safe to say that didn't work out. Safe to say I'm still mad that Chris Cook screwed me the first time around and deliberately picked Matt's team on purpose when he full-blown admitted that I had drafted the best team. <laughs> I'm still um, mad about that. But the drafts were originally King's idea, and yeah. they were joys to record with some fantastic members of the community and just the, the greatest set of people I could imagine. Um, but yeah, there's some, there's some more stuff in here. I'll, I'll run down the list real quick. I mean, Chris DeHarde said Alonso's 2019 Indy 500 bid where King had to read out the report of just how oh. bad it had been. Oh, that was, that was fantastic. I, I know those weren't King's words that he had written, but having him break down the entire disaster as told by Zach Brown oh boy uh, after Alonzo missed the show was just it was it was astonishing um Vikash Vikash uh, contributed the quote destiny thy name is Magnuson <laughs> and I don't even remember what that was from it was from around the corner back when I was still on YouTube the first oh time around. This was this was like almost a decade ago. That's how far back you go. Yeah, like people don't realize this. Our very first show together, episode one, was after the 2014 Russian Grand Prix. The very first one. The one where Nico Rosberg blew his front tires out one lap in. Yeah. Um, that was and we'd known each other two so years before that point. Like we'd We've been friends for over a decade, comfortably. Um, we've known each other 11 years. Easy. And uh, that was from around the corner when I was still... It was a desktop image on the back of his computer that had Destiny Thy Name is Magnuson, because it was Magnuson next to two grid girls. And the visual image just kind of sells itself, really, on that one. Um... I know John T in here mentions like 2019 yeah. or 20. There was a straight line which just slayed all of us. I can't remember which one it was. Honestly, you're gonna have to narrow that down a bit more, John T. Because <laughs> there's yeah, been a few of these. Few. Yeah, <laughs> like, that's always been the the thing about King is that you know there are times where he'll just like quietly lie in wait mm. and serve, and then out of nowhere he will come up with a one liner that just disarms everybody on the call and then people off of it because yeah. oh my goodness like like god's favorite michael massey as a most recent example <laughs> is an all-timer it's it's an all-time great one um just he, he has just knack it just it, it he his comedic timing is better than anyone's on this show has ever been he's a genius at it <laughs> He's he's a genius with that. That's so true. 
any of the autosport rundowns. Again, King's been in charge of them too. Oh my god. Um yeah. that it all started back in what? I want to say it was like 2016 was the first time we did I this. I think and it we was. Never thought it would be, and then it became like so big it had to be its own segment, and then it became so big that it had to become its own end of year spectacular. Yeah, an end of year, an end of year show. Yeah, well, it was crazy. <laughs> um, the what was it had- that you? What was it that you said about um, about some of these breakdowns? Where it's just like, I swear, Fernando Alonso went into WC just to take years off my life. Yeah. Just, just because I thought he'd end up getting his stats padded on these autosport breakdowns and just having my head explode. Because I remember when he when he won the World Endurance Championship with, with Toyota, he was I think he was like 19. And it wasn't just year. him. No. No, no that, Seba- that's Sebastian Buemi and Kazuki Nakajima pulled their weight. Oh, absolutely. But of course, Alonso cracked the top 20 because of F1 reputation, and I'm just like, oh, for fuck's sake. <laughs> it, was, it was ridiculous. Um, our capitalization on the market of new media historical overviews of Ontario Speedway. That's, that's right. That's yes. right. If you go to our YouTube channel, King does a breakdown of the history of Ontario Motor Speedway. Uh, that was something that really stuck out to me. Um, a lot of things that really stuck out to me as well. Uh, apart from everything that we've already talked about, is that King has had has a deep love of a lot of things that, like, I, I I wouldn't have picked up like whether it's sailing, cycling, pre-war motorsport. You know, he's the one New York Yankees fan I won't clown on constantly. Is it? He's a he's a good sport. I, I I still will, but usually in us. With comedic effect, yeah, and he's sure. a, a better sport than a lot of people about it, especially when it comes to the Knicks. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's beloved New York Knicks. Mm. The Knicks. The Knicks. Um, and right around the time that we were, could we go back to 2020? And I believe it was like a, uh, it was like a, it was like a YouTube exclusive where Kane talked about how he was, when he was still living in Baltimore, he would he organized protests against police violence uh, when he was there. And when I heard that story, it was like, wow, I have such a tremendous respect for him. I know me and King have been always agreed on everything. Like we're, we're on the same page. It's just a matter of how we get there diverts, but I always have respect for King for, for backing up his words with his actions. Mm. Um, Cam, what's been your favorite contribution from from King to the show. You know, I think if I have to pick out of all of it, it is the continued deserved slander, demolition of the legacy of, and just overall dunking on one Mike Hawthorne. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Nelson PK, that. you've got a five-minute reprieve for this segment only. <laughs> oh, yeah. Which is to say, Mike Hawthorne is a clown. He probably doesn't deserve the championship he got, and you should all hate him. <laughs> Pretty much. God. Um, just before we move on into the actual British Grand Prix itself, I've got a few words I wanted to say in general, and yeah. I, I can only echo some of Cam's sentiments from earlier on, but I don't think any of you listening to this know just how much 
King has contributed to this show more than me over the last eight years um, and beyond. And he has always strived more than anything else to make this show the best show it could possibly be from the hosts to how we creatively write these shows for, to the guests we've had always was pushing to find ways of making the show better always trying to find ways to get more people to listen always you know figuring out ways with tech like how we're recording right now on riverside and you know graphic design and audio editing video editing my man has done everything everything to make this show as good as it can be if you're listening to this show you should raise a glass to Ryan Eric King because this show would not be what it is today if it wasn't for him. And it's about time that I carried on that mantle because he has been a champion for what this show is, what it represents, who we put ourselves out there to. He is one of the most generous and kind and funny human beings I've ever had the privilege of knowing and I couldn't be prouder that he's going to, he's going to crush it at Jalopnik. If he gives Jalopnik 10% of the attention he's given us over the years, he's going to be flying up the ranks. Y'all better, leave us, y'all better, y'all better not leave mean comments on his, on his, on his uh, articles. Hell no. And um, he's weird going... ones. Sure. Maybe sure. mean ones. No, he's going to crush it over there. I have every confidence in him because he's an exceptional writer, he's an exceptional editor, he's an exceptional human being, and he is going. He's in very, very good hands with people like Lizzie Blackstock over there, who's another friend of ours as well. Um, he's going to crush it, and I will do everything in my power as now as the producer of this show as well, as its lead writer as well, to carry on that legacy. Because King would do it for us, so it's only fair we do it for him. So. That's right. King, I know you're listening. Thanks for everything. And yeah. from the bottom of my heart, thank you for everything. Because thank you. we couldn't we couldn't do this without you. And unfortunately now we have to try, but I will try very hard to do it without you. And Okay. I just know. I just need uh I just need Cam, I need you to, to get out in front. Andrea, I'm just gonna need you to hold position behind him. Yeah, Dre. I know. I know you're on more of a creative role right now, but Cam has been leading the show. I look. He's been leading the show since the very start of the recording, uh, and we only think that's right if you hold position like this. I mean, sure, other podcasts are closing in as we speak, but RJ, RJ, stop inventing. Stop inventing. <laughs> should, should you talk about the British Grand Prix now? Oh, buddy, let's talk about the British Grand Prix. Uh, how we got there was pretty dicey, but in his 150th career start, Carlos Sainz Jr. converted his first Formula One pole position into his first Formula One Grand Prix victory at the British Grand Prix at Silverstone. But because it is Scuderia Ferrari at a time after Michael Schumacher, it is never a straightforward thing because there was controversy with team orders calls during the race. 
with Charles Leclerc running faster despite having a damaged car from an incident earlier in the race, they did not swap the two cars in the running order. They left signs ahead of Leclerc, and all this as Lewis Hamilton was starting to catch them both. That's right, folks. Lewis Hamilton in the 2022 season was a legitimate contender to steal a win from under Ferrari's nose. And then, late in the race, with a safety car coming out, Ferrari left Charles Leclerc on used hard tires for a final 10-lap sprint finish while they brought Carlos Sainz in for a fresh set of softs. Sainz took off and got a perfect start. He did the job that he needed to seal the win. Charles Leclerc fought and scratched and clawed, but he still dropped to fourth. <sighs> Cam Buckley. As the... Uh... As a as a as a vociferous uh, student of Ferrari strategical blunders, um, how much did the strategy department overshadow that first win? Been a long time coming for Carlos Sainz Jr. You want to know how bad they botched this? Tell lay it on us. There were portions of the team that refused to celebrate this win. Refused to congratulate Carlos. How bad they fucked up. Let's let's uh, let's uh, let's take this from the top. Uh, you know, it started off pretty similarly to how the last few races in 2022 have happened. Uh, Ferrari qualified on pole, led away from Max Verstappen in his Red Bull, and then Max Verstappen drove around them like they had four flat tires. Unlike the last few races this year, that ended pretty much immediately as due to not only the racing gods just hating Max Verstappen around Silverstone, mm. but also a laughably poor move from Yuki Tsunoda. I thought he got over this, but the last two races have been so bad from Yuki. Yuki Tsunoda went for a move that on Pierre Gasly to change, to overtake that wasn't going to happen in a month of Sundays. And the ensuing damage from that, Max Verstappen picks up a chunk of Yuki Tsunoda's car and it just kills the downforce. Destroyed his so, car. So it, it, after it, he pits for a puncture, uh, he he's know, still it was not a puncture. Wrong. Oh. Yeah. So there was actually no puncture. That's just how it, it basically can open to the entire left side of his uh, ground effect tunnels. As well as the the debris actually got stuck. There's a very funny picture of Max like smirking, holding up the debris, and it's like the whole bottom half of the right end plate off of one of the Alpha Tauris. Um, you gotta be thinking to yourself, Ferrari's got this made, right? Well, Ferrari had it made right up until the point where uh, Carlos Sainz was holding up Charles Leclerc, despite Leclerc carrying massive front wing damage. From a, uh, well, let's call it what it was, a shoulder charge on Sergio Perez on the uh, second restart. The reason why we had two restarts, or two starts, sorry, we'll get to a little bit later. Um, meanwhile, in the background of all of this, we had our first real Lewis Hamilton sighting of 2022. Folks, they've improved the car. They've they've upgraded it from being complete ass to merely normal ass. Where as soon as it got the tires up to temperature after a friggin' age to do so, Mercedes was actually reasonably fast. 
not as fast as Leclerc could go, but definitely faster than what Sainz could achieve. Mm. Now you're thinking, this is Ferrari. The Prince of Darkness, as far as team orders are concerned. Famous, for instance, in like Austria 2002, Germany 2010. Mm-hmm. To 20, 2001, uh, Indianapolis. You think, well, of course, they'll just swap the cars around. I mean, Charles is the leading driver in the world championship. This is they an They say they've got no to... number one drivers, though. Well, they say that Max Verstappen, well, his car is destroyed. He's limping home for medium points. So, obviously, they're just going to swap the cars around, right? Wait, why, why aren't they swapping the cars around, Dre? We watched this together. Dre, Dre the gap the gap to lose is coming down like half a second a lap. We watched this thing. Why won't they swap unfold. the cars? We Ugh. watched this unfold uh, together, uh, and we just cannot believe that they didn't swap the cars around. Yeah, in disbelief. We've, like It's like, this is the one where Ferrari decide to not play the team orders card? This one? My God! Big ah. Germany 2018 vibes, because sitting behind Carlos for the whole first stint, Charles rooted his his medium tires. So even when they pit signs first to get him out of Leclerc's way, Leclerc has no speed. <laughs> Hamilton's bearing down on both of them. They both pit. They do not change Charles's wing, which. In hindsight, it was probably the right call, but I think mm. changing it, given how the race played out, would have actually given them some more options. Yeah, probably. But, you know, you can't, can't, can't predict safety cars and things like that. But Lewis goes long. And you think, Lewis pits later. Lewis has a massive tire life advantage. He's yeah. catching signs fast enough that he will catch and pass Carlos. I don't know if he was going to catch Charles. And then Esteban Ocon, bless that Alpine engine's wonderful reliability. Truly, eats a fuel pump, dies on the run to cops, and we have a safety car. And you're thinking, right, these two Ferraris are spaced out just enough. Oh, no, they weren't. Oh, they weren't. There was no chance of doing a, a, a no-time-loss double stack. Yeah. But in this instance, we have Charles ahead of Sainz, and he had started to pull away from Sainz. Yeah. Again, Charles is the leading driver for them in the World Drivers' Championship. This is an opportunity to take an easy double-points bite out of Verstappen's lead. That's so what do they do? They go on to finish seventh in this race. So what did they do, Cam? They pitted Carlos Sainz for fresh softs. Oh, I left Charles out on old mediums. Sorry, oh. old hards, actually. Old hards. Even worse. What in God's name were they thinking? It's amazing <laughs> to think that the way, the way that oh, this the all unfolded... the prancing haunts. The prancing <laughs> haunts strikes again. The way that this all unfolded, right? Ferrari tried everything. They threw the house at trying to lose this race in the most hilarious fashion possible. And somehow they failed to fail. 
Yeah. But in doing so, they may have failed to succeed because later we're not even talking about the fact that Carlos Sainz Jr. in his eighth season finally gets a Formula One victory. We're talking about how much of a tragedy it is that Charles Leclerc finished fourth. Yeah. Of all the times where people where uh, I see I use people as like a vague general term in this instance, but given the discourse around the, all those famous instances of Ferrari team orders, now we agree that Ferrari should have prioritized their lead driver through the use of team orders to stick it to their sympathetic number two driver. Red Bull did it. <laughs> Red Bull's remember- doing it. And Red, and Red Bull got panned for that one in Catalonia. Yep. Can't win yep. if you try here, folks. Can't win if you try. And the only reason Carl, and I love the fact that after that final restart, Carlos Sainz literally took matters into his own hands, barged Leclerc out of the way within oh 15 seconds of the restart. So I was like, you're hearing... it. You're not taking this away from me today. Uh-uh. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> we're, we're hearing Carlos on the radio. They're telling him to basically back the pack up and let Charles get a massive lead so that they can maintain position. And Carlos basically just said, no. Stop inventing. I'm doing what I want. Yeah. They told him to back the wagon up. I'm just like, what are you doing? There is Sergio Perez right there with a fresh front wing on fresh tires and probably the fastest car here. We thought what Sergio Perez doing? was going to win that race from under all of them. Oof. Yeah, because uh, here, uh, with major upgrades to all three of the top cars, the Red Bull was emphatically the quickest car. Um Max was on course to do one of those uh, disappearing up the road wins before he, uh, before the bottom of his car got can opened. He was going but, to put this race in a rear naked chokehold, and then he slipped and got pummeled. Yep. Yep. But at all of this, all of that potential to do all that damage in the championship, Max Verstappen losing what was probably a surefire win. And running 1-2 for the majority of the race, Hmm. Charles Leclerc walks away from this weekend having only gained six points on Max Verstappen. It is 181, then Perez on 147, and Leclerc on 138. He's 43 points back. 43 points back when he could have been... Easily, easily another 10 points closer. Could have easily taken another 10 points out of it. Ferrari just pitted him as the lead driver in the championship facing really nasty odds given we're probably going to we're probably going to Max's best track next given it's yep. Austria. Austria. And given Red Bull's clear superiority this weekend once they dialed in the car with the upgrades uh, going into Saturday. You need all the help you can get. And Ferrari is the same team they were when Fernando Alonso was there. And they're the same team they were when Sebastian Vettel was there. They do not know how to manage any situation that isn't exactly what was drawn up. And they do not know, or rather are unwilling, to favor a driver who is clearly their best chance in the World Drivers' Championship against an opponent who is going to punish you for every mistake. The way that it played out in the race with Carlos Sainz starting from pole, 
and leading all the laps that he led, even if he wasn't the outright fastest driver, this kind of had the vibe of, oh yeah, on this day, they are going to prioritize Carlos. I, it's just, do they, do they hand out, do they hand out any trophies for being nice? No, and, and we've and we've we've gone on the record and said that like Carlos Sainz Jr. said some really stupid shit uh, on a lot of I things say, that are much more bless important than motorsport. Plus his boot licking, but we hard. will not say that he is not a that he is a terrible driver that is unfit for purpose. He is doing what he needs to do to keep Ferrari in the constructors championship, and he's been genuinely unlucky at points that mm. he's not higher up the championship, but. Just, You're going I... for a championship against a team with a clear number one, number two structure. Both of them are ahead of you right now in the world. Ferrari drivers. says they don't have a number one, number two structure, though. They should. Yeah, B- BS. <laughs> BS. They, they, yeah. they said that. They said that when seven Charles were there in their last year together. BS. <laughs> that's that's the thing. And that's why I also and don't. It's, and, and not only that, it was Mattia Bonato was defiant after the race that they had nailed the strategy and they walked away with the win and no one should criticize them. You know, on the other, on the other side of the coin. And I know like there is this whole thing going around from like brand new accounts that just like Charles Leclerc wants to leave. And I know he is definitely not happy with the way these played out, but I, I, wouldn't put any stock to, into, I, I wouldn't put any stock in Charles Leclerc gets at least eight figures worth of reasons deposited into his bank account until the end of 2026 to make me think that he's gonna this is not a decision that he's going to take lightly after one race that went completely sideways. Yeah, counterpoint. Uh, OK, I'm not I'm not going to say because I, I, I wouldn't put any stock into insert name here on Twitter saying he's going to leave. Yeah, no, that's a mark mentality. No, but I was gonna you say. notice how Mattia Bonotto had to pull him aside and park for a May so he didn't say anything especially stupid? Mm. Yeah. He saved that for himself. I mean, look, a, a part of me feels... <laughs> Yeah, a part of me feels bad for Carlos. I mean, you can only beat who they put in front of you. And he was told many a stupid instruction himself during this race. This is none, like, this is this none is of this is Carlos... Him. None of this is on Carlos. He's he's driving his race at the end of the day, and yeah, he's not. He's clear. He's not the faster of the two Ferraris. That's obvious, right? But that's not his fault, right? That's he's only driving his race, and for Ferrari are just incompetent. It's it, it is just it is so startlingly bad that we're having this comp- we have this conversation every two years about Ferrari. Evergreen. <laughs> this is an evergreen segment on Motorsport One Hundred and One. <laughs> Gray rants about the state of Ferrari, and yet, look, it's it's horseshit. They've had three generational talents in that team in the last decade. They have not won a championship between them. It's almost like Ferrari being a title contender this year has been a surprise to them. You it's paid like, you paid Kimi Raikkonen to leave in his prime. <laughs> you really have to wonder how much Michael Schumacher. And his and his iron will papered over a lot of cracks. He's the most patient man on it. earth. But that's just it. He he didn't. The first year he was there, it was the old structure. It was a nightmare. The car was awful. The team was awful. It was unreliable. 
He was nowhere near the championship and still got three wins out of that piece of garbage. They had to gut and rebuild Ferrari basically by just stealing everyone that Michael had over at Benetton. Most of those people are gone. And now Ferrari has regressed to the mean. They will build you a fast-ass car. They will pay you unbelievable sums of money to drive their red car. You will get a fantastic company car out of this whole deal. Oh, you, you, oh, you yeah. might even... Jeez, judging on what was unveiled uh, this morning, you might even get a shot at a Lamar driving a very, very pretty prototype. Mm. Mm. But you can't trust them when the cards are down and it is time. It, when it is winning time, Ferrari always comes up short. Chosen one turns to frozen one. Yep. And, uh,. <laughs> No, oh. because the chosen one, whether it's Fernando Alonso or Sebastian Vettel or Kimi the second time around, or right now, Charles Leclerc, you're the one holding the bag while the house burns down around you. Yeah. It's not a fair fight. It's never been a fair fight. And um, the driver gets gets tagged with it because it's a driver focused sport as our as, as the fandom of our sport is these days, and it's not it's not fair. But Hey, I mean, when Ferrari are that incompetent, it's going to lead to conversations like this. <laughs> uh, we love the footballization of Formula One. Uh, naturally, we can take it or leave it. Um, Indeed. I uh, should pl throw it. Please throw it in the garbage along with the remains of that Alfa Romeo. Speaking yeah, of which, let's, let's get into it. Uh, at the first start of the race, remember we had two official starts, but you know. Okay, we had two attempts at a start. We have one official start. The first time we started, uh, oh my gosh, we have a five-car wreck at the stop of the line, and it's it's arguably one of the worst we've had in about a decade. Uh, Pierre Gasly, George Russell, and Joe Guan Yu collide trying to go three wide. It looks like, I believe, Pierre and Joe uh, squeeze in on Russell, who's trying to go for a gap that was quickly disappearing. And that sends Joe Guan Yu upside down, hurtling towards the catch fence with his roll hoop crushed. He then flips over the tire barrier and wedges his car in between uh, the tire barrier and the catch fence. Now, when they didn't cut to the scene, we were we were like fearing the very worst. We we didn't actually get to see any footage. They they had stopped any and all footage while they were uh, extracting Wanyu from their car. Yeah. But thankfully, Joe Wanyu was okay, and so too was Alexander Albon, who, while he didn't go somersaulting over a tire barrier, he took multiple hit hard hits uh, after being caught up in that incident as well. Um, but the, the most important thing is that Joe and Albon and everybody else were okay. Actually, Esteban Ocon was one of the other cars that got caught up in that. And so too, for Pierre Gasly, they were able to take the restart of the race. Um, that was, uh, what was your, what, what do you have like a, what was your reaction Yeesh. to that? Other than holy shit, I'm glad everybody's okay. Um, Terrifying wreck. Um, God, um, 
you know, God bless the Halo because the roll hoop did not go down well on that yes. one. Yes, uh, we, um, we had no kidding three incidents between uh, this one, the Nissani F2 incident, which just oh my god, I don't even know where to start with that one. Yeah. And then uh, actually, debris from Leclerc's car hitting Perez's Halo, pretty much square on. Yeah, three incidents in a single weekend where. At least with two of them, definitively, those drivers are still here because of it. We yes. didn't like it. We didn't like the aesthetics, but I'll tell you, four four years on, uh, it's doing its damn job. No, yeah, no, because no doubt that, about it. Two genuinely freak accidents: one where a car impacted the halo, basically full body, and then with uh, with, with the Alpha crash, which no. basically the roll hoop actually came off. The monocoque failed. Now, now the, the roll hoop is bonded to the top of the monocoque. There's actually a section, if you can see uh, pictures of the aftermath of the crash, at the top of the monocoque, actually behind where it's supposed to sit, you can see where it's supposed to bond to. Mm. And it just came off, effectively twisted off. I believe it's, it's effectively bonded to the chassis with the same high-strength adhesives that they used to bond the rest of the car together. This has been commonplace for a couple of decades in Formula One. And it just, it came off, leaving the halo as the only remaining structure, preventing uh, Joe's head from hitting the ground with the full weight of a Formula One car on top of it. Uh, the full weight of a Formula One car that actually dug into some of the asphalt. Yeah. Dragged along the asphalt for a good just a couple hundred meters. Went into the gravel. Got hooked by the gravel, and we've we've talked at length on the show before about how gravel has the potential to pitch cars up into airborne accidents. Flipped it up over the barrier, hit the catch fence, and then landed in between the catch fence for the spectators and the other side of the barrier. But that I mean, here's the weird thing about this, because this is like I said, this is an awful looking crash. Um in given what was about to ha what had happened almost at the exact same time it was a blessing in disguise because protesters from an organization called Just Stop Oil they are an, an environmental uh their environmental rights advocacy group uh that do uh protests <laughs> slash stunts like this uh some of their members got onto a live track right after the start of the race. And you shudder to think that had they not red flagged the race, what could have also happened once you have people running around on a live track. This horrible five-car crash was arguably a, bl a blessing in disguise, in hindsight. So I have a sentence. Uh, yeah. I'll tell you. I don't, I don't think I have gloves thick enough to touch that one. Um, yeah, scarily similar. If, if those of us who uh, remember about 11 years ago in the sports car community, scarily similar to Alan McNish's Audi crash um, at the end of the first hour of the 2011, 24 hours of Lamar. Thankfully, catch fencing basically stopped the car right where it hit. Mm. And he just dropped straight down. And it was just a question of actually extracting him from the car because it was a very tight fit. Yeah. And yeah, um, Scott, and yeah, thank goodness the red flag came out when it did because 20 seconds later, 
there could have been multiple fatalities given that incident. And look, I don't want to give these guys any more attention than they deserve, which is zero as far as I'm concerned. Because if you're dressing up like marshals on purpose and are prepared to die on a live racetrack and potentially hurt innocent people in your selfishness, then you deserve no attention for whatever the fuck it is you're protesting. And it's a goddamn shame because they are genuinely promoting a worthy cause. And yet you ruin any sense of goodwill in doing that by putting your life and other people's lives in danger. It's fucking ridiculous. Don't do that, okay? I am all for peaceful protest, but you don't do that. That's completely ridiculous. Oh, and fuck Gary Lineker, the crisp man, for trying to defend that bullshit. Um, I hope he shags a pair of cheesy watsits. Um, <laughs> Damn. That is, the, that is the harshest you've been towards Lineker in a while. He's a herb. Um, <laughs> to, to, to say the least, he's a herb. But before we get out of here, folks, I mean, this this is up there with one of the best races of 2022, right? I say uh, uh, beyond everything else that happened in in between all the Ferrari clownery, that last stint had some of the best F one racing that I can remember. That was in the a race long of the time. Year. It's it's the best race I've seen in any of the four series we cover so far this year. The Lewis Hamilton double overtake on lap forty five with Leclerc struggling to keep Perez at his side. They are going side by side through that clumsy little final sector. They're pushing each other up, and then Lewis Hamilton swoops past both of them. And through goes Hamilton. It's I'm telling you, Nigel Mansell's right. The, that crowd gives him 30 extra HP and a, and a few more points of downforce. Oh, God, need. yeah. I mean, that was, like, also one of the great commentary calls from David Croft right there, first and foremost. That was astonishing. Um, and it's almost a shame because there was an even better overtake two laps later that he completely glossed over. And it was Hamilton going around the outside of Leclerc at Luffield and then Leclerc on used tyres that are two compounds harder than Hamilton's softs, going round the outside of Cops to overtake Lewis Hamilton. And this time, Hamilton hit his A-pads. I know! Yeah, yeah, this time Lewis didn't miss the corner and blow the guy on the outside up. One of the Fantastic. best overtakes I have ever, ever seen. Dude. That was ridiculous. Overtake of the year, Scotty Award, that's going to be crowded. Oh, uh, it, it might have to be its own episode in and of itself at this point. <laughs> it was the first, like, this was already a good race with the tactical intrigue that was going on between Ferraris and and. and Can we Hamilton. call what Ferrari was doing intrigue? Oh, a disaster class, but intrigue, <laughs> if I'm being polite. And Dude. it was already an intriguing race. We got another sprint finish, essentially, because we had another late safety car. We had quite a few of these so far this season, somehow. We had a 10-lap restart. The first five laps of that restart is some of the best racing you will ever wish to see. Yeah. I cannot stress that. It, it, it's, it's a drain. Are you fucking kidding me out of 10-level of action after the safety car comes in. Perez, Alonso, Norris, Hamilton, Leclerc, Perez. It was a bar fight where a race broke out in the last five laps. This it is what Formula One thinks they get when they put on a sprint weekend. This yeah. is also <laughs> the best advertisement for the new regulations that you could ever draw up. Oh, yeah. 
unbelievable race. Unbelievable. Schumacher got his first points. Yes. Yeah, and, he has, and he fought to the fucking teeth for them. Oh, god, yeah. Nicholas Latifi, the meme man, qualified Q3 and got himself back to 20th on countback in the World Drivers' Championship. He's overtaken Nico Hulkenberg. What a guy. He's <laughs> not going to be this year's Nikita Mazepin. Thank God. He's a, he's, he's a far better human being than that. Um, Jesus Christ. Um, I just yeah. say, mm. Dre, mm. rise it up from the ground once again. Q1 exit to solid points. The church, baby! The church! We finished ninth! Ninth! And that was even that the best part bus. of Vettel's weekend because he got to drive the FW14B around Silverstone and oh I was so God. infinitely jealous of him. With renewable fuel that is is actually a, a much cheaper alternative than uh, what Patty Lowe is backing. And nice. it's his own FW14B. Vettel <laughs> owns that car. That's his car. And I love that Mansell said after the fact, God, he got a better deal than me. He got the whole car for a million quid less than I did. <laughs> <laughs> what a guy. Um, yeah, yeah it, it was awesome. And it was actually as an, an old fuddy-duddy, yet still the middle child of the three of us on this show now. Um, it was hilarious. to see, like, And actually quite heartwarming just to see Mansell and Vettel, who both have phenomenal respect for each other as drivers. Just hug it out and enjoy a wonderful piece of F1 history. One of the great F1 cars of all time. Yeah. And um, just hug it out and just enjoy the experience. Like I've never See, seen Vettel. Vettel's 35 years old. It was his birthday this past weekend as well. It's, 30... it's not real. It's not real. Next year to tell me that Sidney Crosby turns 35 next month. Except he does. Fuck. Time isn't real. Time is not real. This is ridiculous. Look, you know how much I would rather just talk about moments like this rather than raging, all-infecting bigotry around oh, the sport. Dear God. Just give times. me, give me more drivers buying old F1 cars and hooning them around a track on renewable fuel. Give me, give me elder figures within the sport that acknowledge that, like, progress is like doing the dishes and there's still more to be done every day you're not just done at when you do one set of dishes indeed yep. indeed we, we we and don't get me wrong none of us enjoyed the first 40 minutes of this recording like we don't want to talk about racism and bigotry in our motors but we do it because we love this shit we do we it want because to be better we want it to be but we want our sport that we love to be better we love this sport we do this knowing full well it does not love us back but we do it anyway because we want it to be better. And unfortunately, we got the very best of this sport this weekend, and unfortunately, we got the very worst of this sport and humanity in general over the course of not just this weekend, but the last two weeks. Everybody listening, all I can ask is, just do me a favor before you go. Just promise me, if you're listening to this show, that look in the mirror and ask yourself, are you being the best ally you can possibly be? And if the answer to that is no, and be honest with yourself when you're looking at this in the mirror and asking these questions, ask yourself how you can be a better ally, not just for your fellow Formula One fan, but for anyone in life. Because, look, I am 
I am black. I know I'm not in the best of scenarios myself, but I still have a level of privilege as a man in this world. And if you've got a good platform, and I'm blessed with the incredible platform to share it with such incredible people, I've said it a thousand times, it's the pinned tweet on our very page that I will never take off as long as I still run the social media on it. We at Motorsport 101 believe this show is truly for everyone. A platform made by all walks of life for all walks of life. We take pride in trying to be as inclusive as we possibly can be because we believe motorsport is for everybody. If you believe we should stick to sports, then this show is not for you. I've been Dre Harrison. They've been RJ O'Connell and Cam Buckley. We'll catch you next time. Sayonara. Sayonara.